the Howard College Podcast. A podcast for the students, by the students. Home of the Howard College Hawks. What's this going on? Combined production from the heart of West Texas. Hey, y'all. Y'all need some twang up in here. What did he say? <laughs> Information for new college students. And future Hawks. Howard College. Let me San Angelo. Swid. And now, it's time to get to work. I'm <laughs> Okay. Welcome to our Howard College Halloween special episode. When we thought of this episode, we put it out to students on campus that we were looking for their best scary stories. We had several responses. We called them in to hear just the basics, and we tried to make a selection of the ones we thought you would enjoy the most. So here are the finalists, and we hope you enjoy our Halloween stories. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Warren. I am a theater student here at Howard College, and this is my story. Ever since I was little, my mom has a history with ghosties. She's had many bizarre experiences throughout her life. Some that really stuck out to me was one time when she was visiting a family in Lubbock. She had a rose that was sitting in a vase next to her bed stretch, look down at her, look her up and down, and then reach back to the vase, which that was probably one of the weirdest experiences I've ever heard from her. Another one is from a creative arts theater in school, a theater that mom and I used to um, spend most of her time in. She got very familiar with the ghosts in that theater. Um, She always um, experienced um, children running down the halls. Whenever she had kids running down the halls, she could feel another presence running with them, and she could hear giggling. Um, She also would have this ghost um, child um, touch the shoulders of people who would visit her in the costume shop. Um, and the creepiest one was when she was leaving for the day, she actually heard a voice say, aw, you're leaving? So she's always had a uh, connection with children, and, and I wonder if, if that's part of the reason why she's had so many experiences. But the one that sticks out to me the most, that I definitely remember like the back of my hand, was we were, it was late at night, it was probably about one or two o'clock. Um, my dad was out of town, so it was just my mom and I in the house. Um, and my mom was just laying in bed and reading her book, trying to relax for the night. She had her door open, propped, where she could see um, out into the hallway, see the kitchen and part of the living room of our house. And um, out of all of a sudden, this um, specter uh, stopped in front of her hallway door and looked at her as if to see that she could see her. And gestured to somebody behind her as if to say hey she could see me right now and she looked she looked around the specter looked around and was almost like saying is this normal is she supposed to see me right now now my mom did tell me that she never heard any audible voices from this ghost but 
her facial expressions were so vivid that she could understand what the ghost was was feeling. And my mom's instinct reaction to that was, I was out of bed. (laughs) That I snuck out of bed and I was trying to mess with my mom. So later she calls out and she's like, Elizabeth, what are you doing out of bed? And of course, (laughs) me being the elephant foot that I was, I stumbled down the hallway and I popped my head in the door. I said, what? I was trying to sleep. And she said, oh, that wasn't you trying to, that wasn't you walking around the halls? And I was like, no, I just fell asleep. And so she told me to go ahead and go back to bed. And and <laughs> so my, my <laughs> annoyed teenager self stomped back to my bedroom. And later she got up and, and she turned on all the lights in the kitchen and looked in the living room and there was nothing there. Um... So she's seen a lot of uh, ghosts of children and um, very, very unique things. And my my real question is, 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 is it because, is the reason why my mom is seeing these ghosts, is it because she's so close with children? It's because she's so close with um, wanting to help children. Um, she's, she's a teacher, she's an educator. Um, or is it because she was a part of theater? And she was more um, open-minded than, than other people she knew. So that kind of is um, an open-ended question that I'm still trying to learn. Um, do ghosts choose who they show themselves to? Thanks, Elizabeth, for sharing that story. We have more to come, so stay with us. But first, a little story of my own. So some friends and I do a activity, I guess you could call it, called bikepacking. It's basically backpacking, uh, but you're using a mountain bike as your mode of transportation. So you have your bags strapped to the handlebars, to the frame, uh, to the seat post that are holding things like your cooking gear, um, your food supply, your tent, your sleeping bag. And you get out into some backcountry or some wilderness areas to explore and just enjoy being outdoors. Last summer in May, we decided to take a very long trip. Uh, We'd all been looking forward to it. And the trip was almost the entire distance across New Mexico. So we started in Santa Fe. And for several days, we rode south towards Hatch and Las Cruces. So around the middle of this trip, we'd been on the route for maybe four days at this point. We had already traveled, um, I don't know, maybe 200 miles or so. Our goal was to kind of get across this little desert stretch we were in and approach the Cibola National Forest, where we were hoping to camp um, that night in the in the National Forest property. Now it's getting pretty late in the day, and sun is sunset's approaching, and we're really aware of you know the distance we have left before we reach the National Forest. It didn't seem like we were going to make it before dark, so we kind of started looking around for you know, somewhere we could camp that night. Uh, We stopped at this area to to rest and look around. It was on our map. It was called Riley, New Mexico. And it was kind of an old ghost town, I guess. It was actually called the Riley Ghost Town, but it was really ruins. There was a lot of adobe structures that looked like possibly old housing. Uh, There was something that kind of looked like a a church, maybe, that that was old and in ruins. We found out later it was an old schoolhouse. And there was definitely an old cemetery there with headstones dating back to, I think one of them we saw was 1893. 
and you have to picture this area you're kind of in a in a bowl and there's some sagebrush covered hills around you i wouldn't say mountains um, just definitely hills to where maybe you couldn't see more than a half a mile in any direction because there's hills just real up close to the area you're in and so there's this old this old brick church and stucco church and it says um, Santa Rita and there's kind of a, a picket fence and it's surrounding a graveyard so there was the church and the, the headstones inside this picket fence and we found an area outside the the church area that was kind of a, a pavilion I guess um, it was exposed on three sides there was a wall on one it was covered and it was getting a little windy, so we decided, you know, this is as good of a place as any to camp for the night. We could at least have shelter over us, and we wouldn't have to set up our tents. We could just kind of throw our sleeping pads and sleeping bags down on the concrete pad and just sleep there. And there was a sign there that said, you know, visitors welcome. Clearly somebody had been there in the area recently just based on the fact that the trash had been cleaned up and this concrete area had kind of been swept out. So we were thinking maybe there was a church function the next morning. Um, you know, we figured we would sleep there and get an early start the next day. So we prepared our dinner. And then before we called in the night, we kind of thought it would be cool to walk around and take a look at the old headstones. And so we did, we took a lot of pictures and kind of investigated the area on foot and it was really fascinating. There was lots of old headstones. There was one that said 1893, and it was a guy who had robbed a payroll train car, I think, and uh, they had hung him for this transgression, and that was his headstone marker. And there was a lot of, you know, range of some that were fairly modern, maybe 20 years old, and some that went way back into the early 1900s. And so it was really fascinating to look at all those headstones and. As sunset, we decided to camp, um, you know, under that awning. So we went ahead and, and set up our sleeping bags and got ready for the night. The wind was starting to pick up. It was getting really dark. There's no lighting from any nearby cities or anything. So the, the star view at night is amazing. And as the sun went over the mountain behind us, we looked up and saw that a cross had been placed there, kind of protecting the valley uh, underneath that hill right near the cemetery. As we ate our dinner, we kind of joked about how this place might be haunted, and that's why it was abandoned. So when you're doing something like this, you, you cook by um, these these kind of portable stoves. They're called a jet boil, and it's, it's like a, a pot with a, a burner under it and a fuel canister. And so you can pour your water in there and boil the water, or you could cook you know right in the pot. So that um, the jet boils, our forks and spoons, and our bowls and our cups were all kind of left out on this countertop that was in this pavilion area. And we figured there was no point in putting that stuff away. We were gonna need it for breakfast in the morning. So we just kind of left everything out on the countertop and laid down. It was dark. Uh, we had headlamps on our heads. And, you know, after kind of laying around and talking for a while, it was just time to go to sleep. So we turned the lights out. Just as I was starting to doze off, I heard a loud crash. And it almost just sounded like complete chaos going on around us and we all kind of jumped up and, and I think the other two guys that were with me were sound asleep at the time and we all jumped up and turned our, our lights on and we're looking around and we had realized that everything everything that was on that countertop 
was on the ground. It was, it was as though somebody had come up and taken their arm and just cleared the countertop. And, I mean, there's cook stoves, there's dishes, there's leftover um, stuff from dinner, just everything that was on the countertop was on the ground. So so we had no idea what, what caused this. We picked everything up, we put it back on the countertop and put some you know heavier objects above it or on top of things just to kind of hold them down for the night. And, you know, the other guy that was with me kind of said something like, I think the wind came through the, the pavilion just right and must have hit it. And, and so we were definitely a little on edge at this point. And so we turned the lights out and attempted to go to sleep again. Now, the area that I was sleeping in was basically right in the middle of this concrete slab uh, with three exposed walls around me or where there would be a wall that was just kind of open to the outside area and I just set my sleeping bag right in the middle of it and that's where I decided to sleep and maybe about 30 feet away was a a barrel and kind of like you see at a park where people put their trash and stuff so this barrel was sitting over there and I had maybe been asleep for 30 or 45 minutes and I could clearly hear an animal digging around in that trash can I got up with my headlamp and and attempted to scare it away and I was shining my my light around the trash can in the trash can and I could hear something down in the bottom of it I guess it was a mouse or something trying to get some midnight snacks so after unsuccessfully scaring that animal away I decided just to do my best to try to get some sleep so again laid down and tried to go to sleep I did not sleep very well that night at all. It seemed like every little noise would wake me up. And because I was kind of exposed, I wasn't in a tent. Uh, I was just kind of on a concrete slab in the middle of the desert. Um, I was really aware of noises and I was really aware of, you know, if a coyote were to come up and sniff around at my sleeping bag in the middle of the night. So so I really didn't sleep too well at all. Uh, But finally, morning did come and we, got up and kind of started moving around and getting ready to make breakfast and to go back to the the jet boil i was talking about that stove it kind of packs down into a a canvas case like a carry case so imagine the size of a i don't know a two liter bottle Um, but it's made out of canvas has a zipper on it and that's kind of where the stove and my cook set and some of my food were stored in this bag that would is easy to kind of move around. You could take the bag out and know that everything you needed was in there. So that night when we put everything on the countertop, I'd left that bag with my cook set and everything on top of the counter. And after we ate breakfast, we're, we're getting ready to pack everything up and head out for the day. And I could not find that bag anywhere. So, so I asked the other guys to help me look for it. I was thinking maybe last night when that wind or whatever it was came through and cleared our countertop off maybe you know my bag kind of got out into the the dirt a little bit and the wind had carried it off a little ways away so uh, we walked around for man probably 15 minutes we just kind of walked around almost like a search party like three guys across walking around the the pavilion scanning the ground looking for you know did the bag roll off a little ways we went back in and searched in the pavilion to see if it had blown into a corner uh, I even asked them to unpack their stuff from their bikes just to make sure that it hadn't accidentally been packed somewhere else. And and we spent a while looking for this. And finally, it just got to the point where I just had to accept that it was gone. I couldn't find it. And 
packed up the best I could and it was time to go. So we, we headed out. Now, as we were leaving this pavilion, we had to ride right by that cemetery. And I remember really kind of freaking out and I was half joking and half serious when I said something like, we look for this thing everywhere. If I ride by one of these headstones and I find out that this thing is hanging on one of these old things, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna totally freak out. And I almost didn't wanna look as we rode by those headstones, but I did, and I didn't see that bag anywhere. So we continued on our journey. We rode that day uh, into another little town where we got a hotel for the night. We unpacked all of our stuff, kind of washed up, repacked everything, and another day goes by and we keep riding again. And now we are two days and about 100 miles past where all this happened in that ghost town. And we get to the high point of our, our trip, uh, elevation-wise. It was Bear Trap Canyon in a national park, and I think it was like 9,000 feet. And it was kind of that that moment where you know you realize you've just accomplished the hardest part of the journey. So we were really, really feeling good about that, and we set up camp that night, maybe 10 or 15 miles past that that summit of that area. So. We were setting up our camp, um, so I'm, you know, 20 feet away. We've got our bikes kind of leaned up against some trees, and and we're all doing our own thing. We're all busy setting up tents, setting up sleeping bags, uh, packing stuff, and I'm kind of down on my knees, kneeled in the dirt, putting a tent stake in the ground, I think, and I can see the guys off to my left. They're doing the same thing. They're setting up their sleep area, and behind us are the bikes, and as I'm putting the tent stake in the ground, I hear that bag hit the ground. And I turn around and look because I wasn't really sure what I just heard, but I wasn't alone. I turn around and looked and the other guy that was with me heard it too. And he turns around at the same time and we both see that bag that I had been missing for the last two days laying on the ground right in front of my bike. And there was nowhere it could have been. Like everything was taken off the bike. Everything was unpacked already. It was as though the the ghost of Santa Rita was done messing with me and they just dropped the bag in the dirt and it made an audible sound as it, as it hit the dirt. And, and we really didn't know what to say. We kind of laughed nervously and, and kept setting up our, our tent and we didn't really talk about it till till we were kind of done setting up our camp area. And, and my friend asked me, was that... Is that the bag you were missing at the, the Santa Rita Cemetery? <laughs> I told him it was, and there was really no, no explanation for it. We have another story for you from one of our very own Big Spring students. And if you think you're ready for this one, think again. This one happens in the dorms on the Big Spring campus. So hold on. Okay, um, well, I'm Melissa Rios. I am a sophomore here at Howard College. This is my second year here. Um, I live in the girls' dorms. So it was late, sometime after the second semester of my first year started. Um, 
There was a particular night in which I was having a nightmare. And for me, that was really strange because I don't really dream about a lot. I don't dream a lot or often. So it was, it was very weird. I also had a, I was aware that I was dreaming. So I knew that everything that was going on around me wasn't necessarily real, but for whatever reason, I was still very, very, very scared. Um, so in my dream, everything was really dark and uh, ominous. And I realized after a while that there was this darkness that was kind of following me. And I realized that it was a darkness that wanted to cause harm to me, which is why I felt really scared in the dream. So as soon as I realized this, um, in my dream, I started being swallowed by darkness. And I realized that that wasn't a good thing. <laughs> so I ran away from it. And it would do anything and everything that it could to get me to run to it. And it, it didn't work. But after a while, I saw my two roommates, which they were my friends at the time. Um, I saw them just standing about to be swallowed by the darkness as well. I grabbed one of them by the wrist and told both of them to run, 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 because the darkness was about to come. So as I was holding my friend's wrist and running, she ended up jumping on my back. Um, in my dream, I thought this was fine. I thought she was tired, so I was like, you know, it's fine, just let her. The issue was that as soon as she jumped onto my back, I didn't hear a second set of feet running behind me, and there were two of them. So I turned around to tell my friend to run, but when I turned around, I saw her face, and her face looked very terrified. Something that I had never seen on anybody else's face for any other reason. She just looked horrified. Her eyes were bulging out of her face and her mouth was just dropped. She was, she was so scared. And after like a minute of looking at her like that, I looked around me and I realized that I was in the darkness and she was the one that was still in the light. And then in my head when I realized this, I asked myself if that's where I am, then what's on my back? And I started to feel something like push and scratch at my lower back. And I wanted to turn around to see what it was, but I, I just couldn't see. And I just had a really deep feeling inside of me that that was not, that was not my friend. And I was very scared. <laughs> um, and then after that, I forced myself to wake up. I was so scared because as soon as I woke up as well, I was still being pushed and kind of scratched at my back. And at this point, I knew I was awake because I sat up, like I shot up and I sat up and I looked behind me and there was nothing there. And I like touched my back to make sure that I was fine and there was nothing there either. So I was sitting up and I, you know, I was sweating. I really did feel really, it was a bad feeling. So my roommate, she's also my best friend. Um, and it was because she was my best friend that I didn't feel awkward about asking her if I could lay with her for a second because I was really scared and I needed her comfort. So I woke her up. I stood up, I walked to her bed and I woke her up 
and I asked her, hey, can I lay down with you just for right now? And she was still kind of asleep, but she told me it was fine. So I laid down with her and we were there for a minute. She fell back asleep immediately. I, on the other hand, was very much awake. So the way that our dorm room is set up, it's a big square and in the center, it's a little square. And the little square is our closet space and our desks as well. Um, so needless to say, there's a hallway that leads from, not a hallway, but more a pathway that leads from our beds. And if you turn to the left, you'll get into the bathroom. And if you turn to the right, it's the other set of beds to our other roommates. Um, so I was laying there with her and I was staring off into the pathway and as I was staring off I kind of I saw something and I I was thinking about it for a minute because I knew that I saw like a shadow the issue was is that the shadow it wasn't like one of my roommates like they woke up and peeked around the corner it was something else and I knew that because, you know, the way that the shadow was peeking over the corner, their their hair should have came towards the side to the bottom, um, but it didn't. It didn't have any hair. And we all had long hair, so I was looking at it and trying to figure out if it was my roommate kind of like poking fun at me. And then after a minute, I realized that it wasn't, and I started... I started having this feeling of of dread and fear all over again. And as I was looking at it, look at me, I then felt it start to smile because of how scared I was. And because it smiled, I got even more terrified. Um, I was so scared and I, I wasn't shaking, I wasn't screaming, I wasn't doing anything, but I knew that I was seeing it and I knew it was seeing me. So when after like a minute or two, I did a really dumb thing that I'm not proud of, but I turned around and closed my eyes instead of saying anything or screaming. I just turned around and closed my eyes and pretended it wasn't there. Um, I then after that, I fell asleep on her bed. Thank you, Melissa, for sharing your story with us. And for all of you listening, remember the last thing you want to do when you hear or see an apparition is turn your back and pretend it's not there. You should run and keep running until you're safe. Hi, my name is Dan Evers, and I'm the professor of theater here at uh, the Big Spring campus here in Howard College. Um, so just like most uh, good uh, ghost stories, uh, a lot of them start off in the theater. Uh, most theaters are considered to be haunted. And my uh, undergraduate uh, college, 
supposedly had some ghosts. Um, being a non-believer, I kind of decided to tempt fate and myself and a couple of my classmates after a awards banquet decided to do the worst thing that you could ever do to bring up a ghost and do a seance. So about midnight, uh, we walked into the main stage theater uh, where several sightings of ghosts pulling out light boards, uh, pushing people, flickering lights on and off. Uh, there were all these stories going on, so we decided to see if we could coerce the ghost into coming out. So we all sat down in a circle and we put a candle in the middle and made a makeshift Ouija board. And we said, if the ghost is out there, please move this Ouija board. And without even really thinking about it, we start to feel it move. And I look at my friend Robert and was like, did you, did you make that move? He goes, no, I didn't do that. And I looked at my friend David and I said, did you make that move? And he goes, no, I didn't. And there, at this point, there was about 12 of us. Um, everyone's claiming they didn't move the Ouija board. And so uh, we ask a couple questions and we start to feel this force move the Ouija board. And we said, are you here? And it slid over to the yes. Uh, we started getting really freaked out at this point. Um, and my friend Robert was uh, probably the most chicken out of all of us. Um, and he starts tapping me on the shoulder very rapidly. And he says, Dan, Dan, I think I, I, think I saw something move. I, I think I saw something move. And I was like, Robert, it's probably your imagination. Uh, in the back of my head, though, I'm getting freaked out because these things are just unexplainable. Um, and then I see this rustling on the curtain. And I think there is something there. And then I see rustling. And this is a big theater. We're talking at about 36 feet wide. And then I start to see rustling across the backdrop. And I mean, several spots where it's rustling. And I start really getting freaked out. And my friend David then like taps me. He's like, I just saw something move too. And so at this point, I now have David and Robert grabbing onto my arms, freaking out. And we're, and I'm actually getting freaked out at this point too. And then Robert just screams. He's like, do you see that? And we see this floating head in the, in the curtain and it's starting to come at us. And we hear this like, and next thing I know, Robert's jumping up. He's kicking the candle over. It, it, it actually catches his pants on fire, and he's. We're trying to roll him out so he, you know, he doesn't catch on fire. The his all of his clothes, and that's when we realize it was our theater friends pranking us about messing with the ghost. And so we didn't actually see a ghost that night, but it was a really fun story, and I, I had a blast. So no ghost, but uh, always a fun time. Hello, my name is Eric Joshua Valle. I'm a former student of Howard Community College. So it all started when I was about six years old. I didn't have a bed, I slept on a couch. And my little brother and my little sister always somehow seemed to sneak into the bed of our parents. Well, they did the same thing as they did every other night. And the only difference was I woke up in the middle of this night around 3 a.m., of course, the witch's hour. I heard giggling, I heard laughing and I assumed it was my family. And I was looking around and there was a little dim lamp on and there was a TV in the corner. The TV was off. 
And I was trying to go back to sleep, but I just couldn't because I kept on hearing the laughing and the giggling and everything. And so I just kind of look around, I lift my head up and I look at the TV and I still can't tell you to this day exactly what it was, but there was this demonic face in the TV. And I was so scared and it stayed there and it shifted to the side as if to angle the face out so it wasn't just like a reflection of something. And then the laughter and the, the, the laughter and the giggling stopped. So I yelled out for my parents. I was like, Mom, Dad, Dad Mom, Mom, Dad. Dad. And they heard me, and all they responded was, what's wrong, son? And I, you know, I tell them, I was like, I see something, I see something. And, they, and then the laughter continued. But they said, you're fine, you're fine. And they did not believe me. So I was stuck in there with this face in the TV. And so they kept on saying it was just a reflection. And they just didn't want to get up, right? Yeah. And so I just dealt with it. I was still very scared, but I dealt with it. I assumed it was a reflection because you just believe your parents at that age. But I kept on looking at it, making sure it wasn't going to move anymore. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, it moved out of the TV and into the shadow of the, the side of the wall. And it moved all the way across and it went back to the back room. And that is when I screamed like a little girl. And I still can't tell you to this day what it was. And I don't think my parents believe me, but that was my first supernatural experience. In case you missed it, the Heritage Museum of Big Spring was hosting ghost tours this month. Tickets sold out fast. We're going to hear from Eric again, but this time as the tour guide character. You see Eric guides the ghost tour for the museum. And since most of us were not lucky enough to get one of the coveted tickets, he's going to tell us about the first stop on the tour. So this year, downtown is, uh, for the city, we are having a ghost tour, a downtown ghost tour. Um, it's been really fun, it's been really great so far, but it's actually sold out. Uh, within the first week it was sold out. So we've been getting really good responses from it. Um, and this is for, uh, to donate to the Heritage Museum, so it's all voluntary, but um, if you're trying to catch it next year, all I gotta say is we're, they're gonna try to get more uh, days to do the tour, but I would also call as soon as you hear about it and reserve the tickets for next year. So this will be a little uh, sneak peek. I'm playing uh, Joseph Heneage Fitch. So if you were to go on this tour, you would sit at a table. She would then grab you and take you to the front of the train car where you would wait for me to come out of the actual train car and introduce myself as Joseph Heneage Finch, which would also be your guide. And then we would walk to the desert flower and then thus this story would continue. Here we are at the desert flower art bar. Now before it was the desert flower, it was known to be owned by a landlord who rented it out to a woman. The woman to protect her privacy was codenamed Annabelle. Coincidence? I think not. But the story goes the way she reported it to the Heritage Museum. And if you look at the second floor window at night, sometimes you can see a figure standing there. You can't really tell if it's a man or a woman, but there's still remnants of it. But she reported there being strong smells of urine at night. And so the next day, she would clean the whole house. And, but she still smelt the urine, and so she just assumed it was in the wooden floors, and she couldn't get rid of it. And then a couple weeks later, she started hearing moaning, 
and a little bit of growling and rumbling and these weird sounds coming from the walls and nobody else lived in the building. She finally told the landlord and the landlord said that it was probably sounds coming from around the city just coming up through the pipes. She accepted it as truth. A week later, she woke up in the middle of the night to something brushing her hair to the side. But her air conditioner was on, so she assumed it was just the air conditioner. Now the next night, she left the air conditioner off, and she woke up at exactly 3 a.m. to her hair being brushed to the side again, and this absolutely terrified her. So the next day, she called a priest to come up to her place and have a prayer session. Hoping that would help, she also invited her boyfriend the next day to stay over. And in the middle of the night, the covers were yanked off of her and her boyfriend was forced out of the bed and he ran out. And before he left, he said he would vow to never come back to her place unless it was to help her move out. She then had more prayer sessions, but nothing ever helped. A month later, after these occurrences still kept happening, she ended up moving out with the help of her boyfriend. And to this day, by the owner of the Desert Flower, it is still said that she hears moans and groans upstairs and that it is definitely haunted. And if you do look at the second floor window, sometimes you can still catch something out of the corner of your eye. Special thanks to all of our guests this episode, the students and the staff who made this Halloween special episode possible. We hope you enjoyed it. Be safe this Halloween and remember students, check under your bed and even in the closet. Happy Halloween from the Howard College Podcast.